can we talk about being adults for a second? Uh, always on this show, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm rarely late, but I have uh, something I would like some help with. I, I'm very bad, well, in the sense that I, I generally I lie about time estimates uh, in order to try to please people. Do you know what I mean by this? Ooh, I, I do, and I am 100% the opposite. Teach me this skill because I will sometimes like I'll estimate how long it'll take me to either actually it's not really getting smart because those I'm usually pretty um, either accurate or I'll overestimate with. But if I say, oh, I'm going to be done with this project, uh, this project or like this thing, I'll try to give a fairly conservative or like like as close to how long I think it'll take me uh, when a lot of times I think that ends up biting me in the butt. And I need to get better at uh sensibly exaggerating them so so teach me this so i always add a bit of a buffer no matter what it is whether it's getting somewhere whether it's completing a project you name it i always add a bit of a buffer and i i think where this comes from for me is being in retail for as many years as i was particularly in a, a kind of a customer support role where it was much much easier to tell someone hey, it's going to be two to three days to fix your laptop and have it be done in a day than it is to tell them, hey, it's going to be done tomorrow and have it not be done for two or three days. So I, I would, I'm very well-versed and, and, and I am exceptional at the over-promise, or sorry, under-promise, over-deliver. <laughs> uh, I'm all out of source tonight. I, I'm recovering from a, a sickness and I'm, I'm feeling great, but my brain's still uh, on East Coast time. <laughs> Did I, you, uh, hmm. It Did feels you? like my body uh, flew back and forth a whole bunch of times, and huh. just I, I stayed here. We should, we should come back to that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm very good at under-promising and over-delivering. Like, that concept I totally get. I think it's more, and not, it's not things that take days. I think it's things that take minutes to hours. Well, so I'll, I'll give you an example. So whenever I am on my way somewhere, whether it's in an Uber or if I'm driving or even if I'm walking... You know, the, the, the thing that I'll do, so I get tip number one, don't just guess. So don't, don't just throw out some random number, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, without really knowing. I, th I think that's, that's the number one thing that gets people in trouble is they, they just kind of throw out a number that's based on, I don't know, some arbitrary feeling of how long it should take to arrive to wherever they're going. So... What you really need to do is you need to you need to base your time off of something. You need to pull open, you know, Google Maps or Apple Maps or you know, well, don't don't pull up Apple Maps because that'll probably give you the wrong amount of time, but that's a different story. So pull up Google Maps. Look up, you know, whether you're driving um, or walking, you can tell Google Maps what you're doing. And then you just simply add a bit of a buffer onto that. And you know, there's not an exact scientific method here, but I would say if you're walking, probably adding something like five minutes on top of that is a is a good thing to do. If you're driving, particularly if you're going through San Francisco, you maybe want to add ten to fifteen minutes. Um, and then the last thing I would I would point out is, and this is particularly true if you're driving, you want to give yourself that buffer that you know ten to fifteen minute buffer, let's call it, and you want to think about what the parking situation is because i think this is the thing that people don't think about is even if they're smart enough to look in something like a google maps and figure out you know what their eta is the thing that they won't factor in is 
oh yeah, I got to either find a parking space or I have to find the nearest parking garage. Then I actually have to physically park the car. Then I have to actually walk from wherever I parked to wherever I'm going. So you also want to bake in some time for that too. So I appreciate that. That, uh, that, that was very good. However, that's not exactly what I mean. I mean more like, because that, that I'm, I'm good at, or that, that makes sense. But I'm talking about more of, I will be ready in, or I will have this completed by, stuff like that. Not necessarily where like some, like a traffic or something else is going to impact when you get there. And I hmm. think that's different. It is different, but I, I think there, the solution also isn't too difficult. You, if you have a rough idea you know, how long you think something's going to take to complete. I think adding something, I don't know, 10 to 20% more time on top of that is a reasonable area to be in. Or I think if you have absolutely no idea how long something is going to take you, I think giving some type of wide range is okay. Or just simply being really honest and saying, hey, I this is the first time I'm doing this. Or, hey, there's potentially a lot of things that could come up as I'm doing this. And just simply saying, hey, I'm not exactly sure how long this is going to take, I, I don't think that's necessarily inappropriate. Okay, that's fair. I like that. That gives me something I could take away. Okay. Thank you. No, you're welcome. That's, that's, that's what I'm here for. I, I, come, I come prepared to this show, as, as you know, Carlos. Do you? <laughs> Some, I, I kid, I kid. So, sometimes. Sometimes uh, uh, more so than others. Again, I just show up for uh, an hour to... Sorry, hold on. An hour and 20 minutes. See? See what I did there? Oh, did you... Do you act, is that the actual average? No, no. I, I was saying that I estimated something and then I added 20%. Oh, I thought Actually, that... Actually, no, that's not 20%. I, th <laughs> <laughs> I thought that Why might Why can't we use been, metric time? I don't know. Um, I thought that might have been a reference to your... Um, what did you call it? The, the, the database of, of the program? Oh, no, no. I'm just making... Again, I'll have to yeah, invite you to that. It's, it's an Airtable sheet. And oh, nice. Again, that, that, that website's the greatest. I, I, maybe that should be my fifth pick of the week. I haven't, I haven't used the web version. It, it's way better on the web. I don't yeah. like their mobile apps. I, I, I would have... Well, most spreadsheet sort of apps are going to be better on a you know, traditional computer setup, as you would say. Can I, can I uh, pivot this for a second? Oh, please. I, I hate Google Sheets. Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't? Everybody seems to pretend like Google Docs and Google whatever, like all the Google online like office replacement apps. So many people seem to pretend that they're okay, but they, they're, they're they terrible. No, they don't. What, what people I think are doing there is just reluctantly accepting that what else are they going to use? They'll use Excel and Word, like, like a gentleman. Yeah, but they those don't have the collaboration features that Google Sheets does. The bottom line is if you need to work in a spreadsheet-like sheet and you need to have multiple people working on it at the same time, Google Sheets is, is your best option. It really is. And I, I say that as someone who very much dislikes the whole Google Docs suite of apps. But for collaboration, it, it's the best we've got. It's 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 a it's it's amazing to me that Microsoft hasn't figured this out. Like I, I just really don't get how that's possible. Yeah, sorry. When you said when it's it's the best we got, all I could think was Hillary Clinton twenty sixteen. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Alluding to wow. our, our potential political show, 
Yikes, uh, yikes. Can you dispute it? No. Yeah. Uh, but but 20%. 80... <laughs> there's, uh. a 20, there's a 20% chance Office 365 wins. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the, the laughter holds back the, the fear and the, and the anxiety. I don't really want to move to Canada or Australia. It's too hot. Yeah, Australia would be too hot for you. I think for everybody. I think that's why the, all the koala bears overheat. <laughs> is, that, is that a problem that they have? It is. Oh. I gotta, I gotta send you some cute pictures. Not that, over, not that dehydrated koala bears are cute, but they're still pretty cute. <laughs> we, we, should, we should come back to that too, maybe. <laughs> I think there are too many come back tos that, and since I don't actually listen to this, uh, they will never be that's, uh, that's, circled back around that's, to. That's, that's kind of part of the shtick, but thanks for calling that out. Yeah. We should assemble a parking lot. You're you're familiar with that meeting concept, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, that's too bad we don't have some type of collaboration tool that we could chat back and forth, and perhaps have a se- separate section where we could document some of this stuff. It's too yeah. bad. It's too bad that's uh, that's not out there. Yeah, maybe some companies should start working on that. Maybe maybe, maybe we can start like a like a Google Doc. What do you think? <laughs> no. <laughs> maybe maybe I should start an overpriced Evernote. Oh. Okay. That that's not a pivot yet, but that that that's uh that's a fish in my craw. We 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 will come back to that. Yeah. Um although wait, it's actually not it's not in our notes here, but that's Yeah, okay. I think it just made me so mad that I I uh, I, I just said no. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll see if we can come back to that. Now now that commoners are getting passcode locking on the app, I'm I'm over it. Was that a premium feature? I swear to god it was a premium feature because they have nothing other than we're well, let's, 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 let's talk about this. Let's, let's no, no, get, I, let's get I out of the way. Okay. We got to get back to the other stuff, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. This will be real quick. So Evernote changed their pricing. They're, they're raising the pricing, correct, of, of their existing tiers. And then they're also moving around some features. So for me, the biggest thing is as a free member, you're now limited to two devices. So this could be two computers it could be a computer and a phone a computer and a tablet a tablet and a phone whatever your combination is of two devices which is a real bummer to me not not because i'm someone who's opposed to paying for things i i like to think of myself as someone who's quite the opposite but i've never really loved evernote i don't think evernote's all that great but the thing that it really did have going for it is the fact that I could seamlessly use it across a Windows laptop, a Mac laptop, and my iPhone. And now that I can't do that using the existing free service that I have, I'm kind of in this position where I don't think it's good enough to pay for. So I'll probably just stop using it on one of my uh, devices. Well, wouldn't you stop using it on all your devices? Because Evernote loses all of its utility if it's now only on a select number of devices. Yeah, I, I will probably rethink what I'm using. Yeah, give. Uh, it depends on what your usage is like. Uh, my my workflow, unfortunately, is pretty um, set in stone with my ScanSnap and kind of my uh, paperless office type thing. So I think I'm stuck with Evernote. Can I- can I ask you just a really quick question? If it's too long of an answer, we can skip it for now. Mm-hmm. But what do you do for? Because I know you're you're big on the the paperless thing with your ScanSnap. Mm-hmm. But what what do you do with stuff that you like? You need the originals of. Give me an example. I just a lot of legal documents and tax stuff. Like I feel like you've you've got to have the 
maybe I'm kind of in a unique situation with some stuff I've got, but I just feel like there's there's some stuff that I have where like I I can't just scan the document and then shred the original. Like I need, you know, it's got some type of stamp on it or seal or signature or something where I've got to, you know, I've got to have that original document. Sure, there aren't many of those, but I have uh I just keep a binder with um uh you, you know like paper protectors? Like those clear eight and a half by eleven binder sheets that just have a slot in them. Right. I just throw stuff in there, uh, or I uh, I abuse uh, free FedEx envelopes for that. Well, that's that's smart. Well, not 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 the abusing the FedEx envelopes, but the first thing you said is smart. Yeah, I'm, and that's where. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't want to get too specific, but yeah, that's what I do for most things. Okay. All right. Yeah, like like not for like birth certificate and stuff like that. That goes in a that's that's a different category. Where, where, so where does that stuff go? Like, I, like, I don't get weird about it, but that's just like a small document safe. Like passport, like that stuff just goes away in case something happened. I might, we, you have to send me a link to what you got. Again, like I'm, I'm slowly converting you. you we're, we'll talk about later about the Synology. I'm, I'm getting you on board. I've always kind of followed your lead with technology. There aren't there there aren't as there aren't as many things that I buy that you then buy as there are the kind of things going in the other direction. Yeah, I, I'm I'm the, I'm I'm the idiot that uh, that experiments <laughs> with things. Right. I'm I'm on the well, bleeding edge. I'm not like Google Glass bleeding edge because I'm I'm not I'm not a, a terrible person. But yeah, I I'm I that's part of it. But I actually do think the bigger part is you have you have good taste in technology. Where you don't, you don't, um, you certainly don't just, you know, go out and get like the most expensive thing out there. But I feel like you do your, your research where you're willing to spend that extra little bit to get you something that's, you know, nice. I'm like the, uh, I run the gentleman's wire cutter. Yeah. I I think I I don't go for the budget pick. I go for whatever is the best based on my sliding scale of convenient quality. Like it, like I, 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 yeah, just what I said. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we finished with Evernote. I think maybe no, I mean, we didn't. I, I, well, you. I mean, I don't know. You said you said the the passcode thing now goes. Well, so from... yeah, like they they do all this weird stuff, and and I hated how they they uh they like divided up the features. Like bef- like I was I've been a premium subscriber for since forever, just because like the scan snap PDFs I I generate sometimes. Like if because I'm lazy in the sense that like if I have documents that aren't just like maybe one or three things uh i will they will just go in a pile and i kind of don't deal with them until like every couple of months and then if i was going to like scan like four months worth of documents like the free tier wouldn't cut it for me but um yeah it's it's just weird the way they staggered the features like a passcode locking on ios devices or using touch id was a premium feature which seems so petty and weird which kind of so does this limiting devices thing because like me i don't I don't think I'm that eccentric of a user, but I'm, I have an iPad, I have an iPhone and I have a desktop and a laptop. Like that's four devices. And I don't think that's insanely uncommon, like for like a millennial maybe, but for a regular person, maybe not. Yeah. And honestly, it seems like the answer is probably simple where they're just finding, trying to find new ways to, you know, step people up to those paid tiers, which has to be enormously beneficial to them but um yeah it's kind of it's kind of a bummer and that's fair but like i don't know how the features break down but i think like just make stuff like uh ocr or maybe like 
premium like applications. Like Evernote has a great app called Scannable that allows you to digitize physical documents like uh, just on the go into a really crisp, clean PDF. Like make that a premium only feature. Like make the extras better for that. Right. Because what they're doing now doesn't make sense. I do not disagree. Yeah. Um. All right. Let's step back a minute. So let's uh let's take this back to sports. <laughs> the the uh, origin of this program. Yeah, that's uh th- this was originally going to be called Technical Foul. I still haven't listened to oh, that. Oh, that's that's really good. You know, that's an existing podcast with Ben Thompson, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't listened to it, but it. it you know, he's guy, a he's a big basketball guy, right? Yeah, you know who he is, right? I do. Okay, but he's. Yeah, I don't know the other dude on it, but I, I've been meaning to listen to it, but I, I keep forgetting to subscribe. Well, he's he's stepping dangerously close to technically correct. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want to go work up the the legal documents and send them to uh, uh, Beijing or wherever he lives, um, see that's that that's where you would need need the original documents. Can't you can't just can't just scan those? Yeah, that'll be in a paper protector. That's right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I got, I've got to listen to that. Let me subscribe to that right now. What was I talking about? I, I, I don't know. Have we... Oh, I wanted to bring up, uh, Any Given Wednesday. Oh, yeah. That was all point. Uh, a- AGW is all the, uh, all the kids are calling it. Or A... Yeah, that's right. AG, AGW. So this show end, usually ends up talking about sports in some way, and I do want to get back to a couple of current event things with that. But, um, uh, Bill, uh Ben Thompson, uh, Bill Simmons <laughs> right. of... Uh, formerly of Grantland and uh, ESPN, and he was the big Boston sports guy for a long time. He had his like separation with them, and HBO invested in his new stuff. But now he has a weekly half-hour sports show on HBO, and I know you were super pumped about it. So how did it turn out for you? I thought it was fine. I thought it was a six and a half out of ten. It 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 had a weird. Flow to it, and I, I should say that I haven't seen the second episode, which is well on the on the West Coast. It's actually airing right now. Um, although I guess with like HBO Go, they usually post stuff on East Coast time, so that it, we could probably get it at like seven o'clock here. But anyway, I haven't seen this second episode. But the the first episode, it, I mean, it wasn't bad. And the the two interviews he did, Charles Barkley and Ben Affleck, were interesting at times, but. The the show in general and even within those interviews just had a weird chopped up flow to them. That no, that so that's exactly what I thought, which where it seems like they were like four incredibly distinct and separate segments that could have been re- like honestly could have been recorded on separate days. Right. Well and, and it is some what made this make a lot more sense afterwards is they went and posted a bunch of additional clips from the interviews on hbo go and hbo now and and, you know the the reason they were able to do that is because they were actually 20 30 minute interviews on their own that then each got chopped down to about eight to ten minutes and then had a couple of other segments layered on top yeah so you know it just when you watch something like um what what what's john oliver's program i always forget the name of that last week tonight last week tonight thank you that show has a very good flow to it. Like John Stewart's The Daily Show, same thing. The Colbert Report, all, all those shows, they just they just had this this flow to them, you know, where it just it just felt like it was a a steady 
30 minute program whereas this just just didn't have that you know that same that same feel i'm trying to think of what would be like the contemporary parallel to this type of program because it's not that it's the first one of its kind that's existed but like yeah it's yeah the flow is off it's a bit strange and just yeah, like the first uh, five-minute segment he had uh, singing the praises of uh, LeBron and, and his win in the kind of the N- uh, NBA Finals. Like, it just seemed so disjointed, and, and it, while it was good and interesting, but it just seemed like it could have been completely separate from everything else. Same thing with the Stephen Curry segment, too. Right, and the, the comment I would make about those segments is that they could have just been segments from one of his podcasts. Like, there really wasn't anything added by the fact that they were part of a tv program yeah like it could have been like maybe let's say like the ringer has a um has a a youtube channel and that was just like a a very well put together and interesting five minute youtube video and i certainly could have then watched uh like the stephen curry ad thing right afterward and it would have made total sense if it were on the internet and because they seem completely separate but i chose to watch them in that order or yeah, the, this, the whole show doesn't really seem to have much of a narrative. But it, it's the first episode, and I'm sure it'll get better. And, and I, but I enjoyed it. So yeah, I, I think I said like solid B- minus or something. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that sounds about right. And I, I forget if it was on last week's episode of the Bill Simmons podcast or the week before. He did allude to the fact that the show is still very much a, a work in progress and that it, it'll continue to evolve over time. So well, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and one thing I'll, I'll say is, is I, one, I'm not in a place to judge anybody's creative work in this sense uh, that harshly. But also one thing I will praise it for in, in kind of what Grant Land and Bill Simmons does in general is he makes, he brings a lot of history and passion to sports, but he also uh, talks about it in a way where there is kind of a narrative in, in a story for people who aren't maybe super into sports. and But the people who are super into sports like both sides get enough out of it, which is a very unique talent. Oh yeah, and he he's he's really the only guy out there doing that. Yeah. So no, so I'm gonna keep watching. We'll see. Yeah. Um, and uh, to wrap up sports, why why did people start talking about how well the Giants were doing? <laughs> yeah. We're about to get swept by the dang A's. Oh, I think I think that's official now. No, uh, it's a four game series. Is it just one game in Oakland? No, it's a four-game series. Was the I thought so? Was was, was tonight in game. Oakland? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, so it's it's tough, but it, I hate whenever anybody uh, starts counting their eggs before they hatch. Like I we've I've seen people keep the even-numbered year talk to a minimum, but yeah, when when the thirty-one and forty thing came out, like it just knock it off, folks. I did see so through the putting aside the kind of the the. Yeah, the, the lull that they're in right now. I just saw tonight that, um, so, you know, because they're playing in Oakland tomorrow, they, they get the designated hitter to where they're, they're, the pitcher doesn't have to hit because they're in an American League ballpark. And um, Baumgartner, who's pitching tomorrow, is going to hit despite the fact that they could replace him with a designated hitter. And so it's the first time that a, a team has given up basically their right to a designated hitter since 1976 i think that that's that's kind of fun did anything change recently with sports that me that has made super esoteric sports 
uh, statistics so common? Uh, I think I don't know. I just think I think with the, the advent of social media and the need to the need to fill up twenty four hours in in the day that some of these social media f- feeds feel. But you you've seen the change, like on yes, like on Sports Center, and also like of course we both follow the ESPN stats and info account. There seems to be like just like super contrived and and weird statistics that keep popping up. I don't know. I think it's kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the the, the the history of the world is at our fingertips with the internet, Carlos. Yes, I've been to Wikipedia too. <laughs> All right. Um, and again, the best line of the of any given Wednesday was that uh, Stephen Curry before the finals uh, was like, "If you merged March Madness buzzer beaters with Golden Retriever puppy videos." So, yeah, that's pretty that's, good. That's really good. All right, let's pivot to technology or or whatever this show is supposed to be about. Uh, let's 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 ease into it. What's uh, how's uh, the life as a recent uh, Synology owner treating you? It's been really really good so far. the The setup process could not have left a better impression. I absolutely loved the fact that there was no software to install. That you simply first discovered the device through your web browser, and then you continue to access it through your web browser. It's got a really clean, user-friendly interface. The actual setup of the drives was really easy. Everything from how you insert the drives into the uh, slots. I, you know, I appreciated the fact that there was no tools that you needed outside of the little key, which I'm, I'm terrified to lose that little key. That seems like that would be a huge problem. It, it's, it's standard, so you can order one online. Like it's it's not meant to be super secure. I think it's mainly meant to keep like coworkers or somebody else from ejecting a drive. Sure. While it's on. Sure. But but the, I I appreciate there was no you know screwdriver or anything required. And then yeah the the actual formatting process of the drives was was great. Um. Still haven't completed setting it up. You know still need to integrate it with a uh, backup power supply. Still need to set up the online backup. Um. But I've basically done transferring data from my Drobo onto it. Um, I realized I made kind of a, a dumb mistake where in my Drobo I had two two terabyte drives, and then in the Synology I put two three terabyte drives, and I can't just drop in those two two terabyte drives into the Synology. Because you need when you add drives to a what do they call it a Synology hybrid RAID yeah mm-hmm. that's, that's it right yep you the the drives that you add need to be at least the same size or greater than the smallest existing drive you have wasn't aware of that but that makes sense kind of yeah I kind of screwed that up so I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do with those two two terabyte drives in my Drobo but. Um, hey, just keep them as loose spares and then just buy a couple more three terabyte drives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, overall, um, am extremely happy. So much better than the, the Drobo. I, I was reminded during this process just how awful the, the Drobo interface and, and software is. Yeah. Drobo is weird because that, that was, that was the first one I got, uh, in 2008. And it was always so beloved by so many people, but I don't know if that was just kind of like a podcasting ad, like uh, 
type thing, you kind of like a la Casper. Because, this, yeah, the software's terrible, and, and my Drobo Pro kicked the bucket and almost lost me a ton of data until, like, I shamed them on Twitter for lying about the warranty. So it's, it's weird, and I don't, I don't know if they're still successful or not. Well, was, I mean, in 2008, when you bought that Drobo, was Synology around, or was Drobo kind of the only option? I think Synology was, they weren't as customer, or they weren't as uh, prosumer friendly. Like, I think it was more of just kind of like more enterprisey or like business stuff. Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking is Drobo may have just kind of had the first mover advantage. Yeah. Well, good. Glad, glad it's working out. Let me know if you need any assistance with the, uh, with the cloud backup or with the uh, external storage backup stuff. Yeah, well, I've, I've been peppering you with about 18,000 different questions, so you know that I'm not shy asking. That's no, fine. As long as you get a UPS, we're all good. Oh, yeah, no, I, I have one. I just need, I need to get it um, set up. Good. Yeah. All right. Apple finally discontinued the Thunderbolt display. Yeah, they did. Um, this this was not a surprise. There there were a bunch of rumors pre WWDC that stock was low at a bunch of different Apple Store locations. That you know immediately sparked rumors that we would see a new external display at WWDC. Those rumors were uh, put down by a couple of different sites. So going into the event, you know, as predicted by me. Thank you. No new hardware at the event, including no new display. So then, you know, I guess the the common assumption was that, well, we, you know, wouldn't see any movement on this front until, you know, maybe like the fall when maybe some new laptops would come out and maybe a new, you know, new revved version of the Mac Pro. But then kind of out of nowhere, the existing Thunderbolt display was discontinued. And in Apple's press release, what did they say? Something to the effect of there are many other third-party display choices. Yeah, so when you said there was something surprising about this, I, I that's what our, where I was going to stop you, which is, that's a very awkward thing to say, which which is basically, I think, it sounds like an admission that, uh, an admission that they, it's maybe just not ready yet, whatever the new thing's going to be, because I don't think, I don't think Apple's ready to give up the idea, like, I don't think you would ever see in an Apple store that they're showing off a Mac Pro or a Mac Mini uh, with a Dell display connected to it. I don't ever see that happening. Yeah, I don't think so. And actually, one of the things that I noticed at the new Apple Store in Union Square is that the TVs that the Apple TVs were connected to didn't have any branding on them at all. They were just plain, uh, basically monitors with just a black bezel, no logo, mm-hmm. anything, which yeah. which makes sense. Yeah, like if they had a Samsung Smart TV there, that would be kind of off-brand right. for them, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was weird for them to suggest that, uh, oh yeah, just go somewhere else for now, which I mean, maybe that's all they can do, but... I mean, this the, the, so the, the timing so the, the timing feels weird. So I mean, the, there's obviously sort of two things that could be happening here. Option one, which seems like the less likely option, is that Apple is just completely getting out of the display business. In which case, maybe the timing does make sense because if they're not going to make displays anymore, what difference does it make whenever they decide to discontinue their existing display? Or option two, which which seems to be the consensus with all the you know the rumor sites, is that 
there is this new external display based on the design of the new iMac. It's got this external GPU to help laptops, which may not have the graphical horsepower to um, pump out a resolution as high as this monitor would have. But it's, I guess, presumably just not ready yet. So I guess the question is, if that's the case, assuming that's true, we're going to get this new monitor at some point, you know, maybe later this year. Why discontinue it now and not wait until that monitor's ready? I would think maybe they, like sales have been slowing for a while and, and they just had a whole bunch in the warehouse and maybe they were eventually finally getting low and maybe uh, the supplier just stopped making the panels for it and there was just no sense in trying to get somebody else to do it. Or they just didn't see the the benefits of like doing another run of them. Because this couldn't have been that popular. Like, no, like nobody in their right mind would buy this. No, I mean, it's it's not even just the fact that it's a non-retina display, which is obviously the biggest thing, but just lots of little things too, like the fact that the design of it dates way back to, I mean, it, my, my monitor, which is the, the version right before the Thunderbolt display, um, so it's it's got just display port on it. You know, I bought this thing in 2009, and the design of that current monitor is exactly the same. So it's got a kind of an older looking design. It's got the original MagSafe adapter on it. Uh, not even a MagSafe 2 adapter. You know, USB 2, not USB 3. I mean, everything about it was just super dated. I think it still even has FireWire on the back. Gosh, does it really? My, mine, just ha- mine just has USB. I don't think they would add FireWire onto the newer version, but but maybe. Uh, no, maybe that's a Thunderbolt port. Yeah, it's tough to tell from the website, but I don't think they care to update the website because it is now currently unavailable. Hmm. Yeah, so this can still be had if you if you so desire from one of Apple's premium retail partners, uh, but not from them themselves. I look forward to seeing what uh, 5K display they have probably in like four months or something. So that, that's got to be what's happening, right? Is we'll get a, probably just a press release. I don't, I don't think this would be event worthy. Um, if, if they maybe somehow lump uh, like a Mac Pro refresh with whenever they eventually release the new MacBook Pros, I assume that's going to happen like late summer or maybe uh, October-ish. Yeah, but you think about Apple's event schedule, well, you know, will if if history is any indication, which with Apple usually that's where you look, we're, we'll get a September event where you know we'll get the new iPhones, we'll get the new Apple Watch. I don't think in that event there would be enough time to also then talk about new MacBook Pros, a new Mac Pro, and a new display. And if you don't do it at that event. When are you going to do it? Yeah, that makes sense. So I think I think they they got away from having both a September event and an October event, which they they did do for a couple of years, where they had you know the the new iPads come out in October. But I did see it seems like yeah they're 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 getting away from that where they just they kind of want their WWDC keynote, they want the one fall event, and that's kind of their two, you know. Their two events. I mean, I guess they they could they they could put out new Macs at this September event. You know, especially if maybe 
the iPhone 7 or whatever this thing ends up ends up being called, you know, especially if maybe it, it's not really a huge upgrade, you know, maybe they spend a little bit less time on that than they normally would. And then try to kind of try to spice up the event with the, I guess the OLED MacBook Pro and. You mean the touch enabled, uh, touch ID enabled MacBook Pro? That, yeah, exactly. I can't wait for that to happen. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't think that's going to happen. Ever or soon? Not this year. I think this rumored OLED touch bar thing that we're going to see. I, I think that's that's going to be the new feature on the MacBook Pro, and we're not going to see built-in Touch ID. It feels like because it feels like with the and I, you know I I this, this I, I decide this is kind of just my thing with with all this Apple stuff. If, if it hasn't leaked, it's not going to happen. With these these MacBook Pros, the the OLED Touch Bar thing that that's been pretty well documented, you know, pretty well leaked. And I just I, I have a feeling that if Touch ID were also part of this new hardware, that it just would have leaked at the same time. Yeah, maybe. I think this this stuff just gets out in the into the supply chain, and it, there's just there's just no stopping it. The, the the software stuff they can keep pretty well under wraps, but the the hardware stuff. Once it gets past a certain point, there's just there's no stopping it. Can we talk about two smaller kind of weird things? Uh, sure. Okay. What was the weird chuckle about? I just I don't know. I, discussing weird things. Yeah, it's not sure what to make of that. Okay. So there were two things that have kind of one that I saw today, and also one that's been bugging me for a while. So did you see the thing with uh, Amazon now selling? Android phones that they're subsidizing by putting their special offers on in the same way that they do the Kindles? Yeah, they're the Kindlefication of Android phones. You mean there's bad type uh, bad typography on them? <laughs> oh, or an, an uneven backlight? Zing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The, first off, I, I think we've talked about it in the past, but would you ever buy something with special offers? I mean, I have. I've, I've bought Kindles that way. And did you make that as a conscious decision, knowing that there was a uh, less crappy version for twenty to like thirty dollars more? I did. I, I don't find the special offers to be unobtrusive on the the Kindle, and, and in fact, I think some of the offers they put there were very applicable and you know something that I was interested in. So I, I didn't consider that a big deal on a Kindle. Did you did you thoroughly research it to make sure they weren't terrible ads? Or did you just trust Amazon and be like, okay, I'll take the 20 bucks savings? No, I think I had seen in some reviews that, that people would consider them to not be that obtrusive. I don't think I'd feel that same way about a phone, though. Yeah, so there's the, I think it's like the fourth generation Moto G, or maybe it's the Moto E. That's one of them, and there's apparently a phone company called BLU now. Um, something like that, but apparently they're... Um, baking all their Amazon apps as well as the Amazon app store into the firmware and also having like um, promotional ads in the notification area and like, um, and yeah, just their whole sponsored thing and the discount or what the customer gets in exchange for it is a $50 uh, cut on the, the price compared to the regular version. So do you think many people are going to take them off on this? And do you think this is a better approach to Amazon trying to maybe take a more dominant position in phones? Or do you think maybe that's overstating what this is? 
I think that's overstating what this is. I think it's a smarter strategy than trying to make their own phone. And I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's a good value proposition. I with with the Kindle the the big difference is the ads, you know, only show up on the the lock screen and then they they go away when you unlock the device. And with a Kindle that's just not something that you do all that often. Yeah, I mean may, maybe a couple of times a day, maybe for for a lot of people, probably way less than that. Because you get into the Kindle, you read for a while, and I probably for a lot of people, you've kind of got your one reading session, like right when you're about to go to bed or just relaxing in the evening. Whereas with you know with your phone, you're you're constantly unlocking that that thing all day, and if you've got an ad every time you do that, that just that doesn't seem like a great experience. Yeah, so that, that was the first weird thing. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to say about it. Just it's, I appreciate maybe that that might not be the right word, but that that Apple tries everything, or sorry, Amazon tries everything. Apple is trying Apple, everything. Apple, with, Apple, uh, does, Apple does not try everything. No, Apple is trying everything with iMessage. They're throwing everything in the fucking kitchen sink with it. <laughs> but no, for many other things, no, they certainly do not. Yeah. But um, also, have you seen? I, I sent you a link earlier today or yesterday, perhaps. Um, from uh, the support site or maybe like a configuration page from the new like Wi-Fi router startup Eero. Yeah. Um, um, what's his, what's his face who was on uh, the talk show recently? M- MG Sigler mentioned that router and I, I had never heard of it and w- went to their website and then quickly saw how much they are and went, Oh no, I don't want that. In my in my little studio apartment. So apparently they're fantastic, but yeah, for somebody with with uh even probably like a two bedroom apartment, does not pay off. But apparently, if you're somebody like I mean, just most modern homes, like just the way that, like if it's an old house or if it's a large house, uh, a single router just doesn't cut it. And all those like the power line, Ethernet adapters, and range extenders, and all those, they're all kind of crappy things. So this seems like a good solution for those people, but. I forgot how I got set onto that page, but I've been seeing this um, increasing trend of people using Medium as a way to organize, like to like they use it as like their press release site, and in certain cases use it like as their support website. And that just seems so weird to me to to rely so heavily on like a publishing like blogging company uh, to have stuff like that. That's like not necessarily within your own control, not branded as tightly as you might want it to be, and just it just seems strange. Yeah, but it also seems easy. But hmm. and with we know, I think unfortunately for a lot of companies, it, investing a lot in some type of custom built support page is just not not worth the effort. But uh, so. Uh, they do have a custom built support page. Like they have like a Zendesk site for it. And I think like by proxy or, or uh, continuing on this, like this also speaks like to the, the ringer, they released their site and it's a medium publication. I guess it's this whole trend. I, I just, it seems weird for such maybe high profile or things that could certainly do stuff on their own to choose medium. Hmm. I don't know. Because you'll notice like if you go to a story uh, at the ringer, and you go to that page talking about a Wi-Fi router, they look exactly the same because you can't like theme or change much about a medium story. 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it's that big of a deal like for a blog or for even a support page. I, I do think it gets a little stranger when you're talking about building an entire website on top of it, like with the ringer. So I I, th I think I I think that the ringer is an odder example of that than the this support page example. Yeah. Like uh, MG Siegler, to bring him up again, uh, he has a, a website called 500ish words or 500ish.com, which seems absolutely perfect for Medium, but it's because it's, it's a very small kind of quick personal blog. Right. Yeah. All right. I've been talking for a while. What, what, what you got? Um, so there, there's some VR stuff this week, I guess, that, that's sort of my, my, my area of expertise, as you would, uh, as you would claim. Um. So I, there's been a weird story with VR, which I think has unfortunately detracted from what we should be talking about, which is kind of like, <laughs> how is how is VR and how's the software and, you know, is this something I should buy? But in, instead, what a lot of the headlines have been, have been about the, the business side. And, you know, it's particular to Oculus where pre-launch of this stuff, they they were out there talking up and down about how the only way that VR was going to be truly successful was if the software was platform agnostic and, you know, people buying a Vive was just as good as people buying an Oculus in their eyes because it was growing the ecosystem, it was getting people interested in VR, blah, blah, blah. But then lo and behold, when this stuff starts coming out and the Vive and the Oculus are available, there is a bunch of Oculus software which is exclusive to Oculus. And they, they took it a step further and actually locked that software down so that it would literally not run on any other VR platform other than the, the Oculus. There was actually like a DRM check put in place to make sure that the software didn't run on other platforms. And, you know, I, I think people rightly were upset by that. It's, to be honest, I, I think if Oculus wasn't out there pre-launch saying everything they did, and then they decided to do what they did post-launch. It wouldn't have been necessarily that big of a deal. I think people would have still been upset. But just the the pure hypocrisy and, and kind of the positions that they've laid out has been kind of stunning. Um, but the development this week is Oculus took a huge step back from that stuff. They're now not they they removed that that piece of DRM which prevented their software or their kind of platform exclusives from running on other VR platforms. So it still means that you have to buy the software through the Oculus Home site or software. But at least this stuff will run on something like a like a Vive. Yeah, DRM is is is, is not desirable, but. Isn't something else happening with? So is is the are there any sales numbers? Like is is the Vive versus the Gear VR versus Oculus? I, I I assume Gear VR is not really in the same league. Is is there like a sales race or or is there any like measure of success that the two have had? Or are they both kind of in? We can't ship enough of them, or it's too early adopter status to really tell. I th I think it it has to be too early adopter status to tell just given the hardware requirements of of both platforms the the Vive and the Oculus but I mean if if I'm them I, you know I ha what I have to be more concerned about than the number of units I've shipped is just sort of kind of just the general lackluster launch of VR I mean I think 
in general, you know, if, if you were looking back a year or two years ago and what you were thinking like the, the launch of VR would be, and if you were kind of laying out all the different scenarios, I, I feel like this, the actual launch has to be kind of on the worst case end of the spectrum. I mean, they're just, there's, there's no software coming out of E3. There really isn't any future software that people are excited about. So it's, it's not like, oh, well, you know, there's not any good stuff out today, but hey, look at these 10 awesome games we've got coming out later this year or early next. There really isn't any of that. The, the store situation's kind of a mess with all this DRM nonsense. I just, you know, I don't know. There, there were a lot of stories at E3 about people getting motion sick because a lot of these games, granted they're still in development, but a, a lot of games aren't meeting kind of the recommended frame per second requirements. It, just a lot of this stuff, I don't know. It just is it's kind of, I think a disaster is, is too strong of a word, but it's, it's not good. It's really not good. Hmm. Interesting. So I, ho- I, ho- I hope, hope they figure it out. Because I, I I do I do still think the future of VR is bright, but they've they've got to they got to piece this together. They got they got to get this hardware thing figured out, and they they got to get the software going. Yeah. So I I have two small bits of follow up or, or additions to make with the VR topic, and uh, you don't listen to the show Cortex on Relay FM, do you? I do not. Okay, it's probably not for you, and I wouldn't recommend that you listen to it. But the most recent uh, episode included uh, Mike and his co-host uh, going to Facebook to for a couple of things, and this included uh, trying out the Oculus with a couple of like pre-release things, and they had really detailed and interesting descriptions of the VR experience and kind of what made it click for them. So I'd strongly suggest listening to that. It was it was very very interesting. Hmm. Okay. So just listen to the most recent episode, and it's 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 pretty good. And it got me interested in VR, sort of, because I've really wanted, I I, I am, and I really want to be a better <laughs> hater of VR, just because I, I'm pessimistic on video games, and and where and that's where this is starting. And this speaks to another thing that like I heard on this week's Clockwise or the the week before. Did you listen to that one? I did. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Okay, so there was a guy on there. I forget his name, but he had mentioned that he that was, was the, the, the kind of the, the hard to pronounce name. I think. Yeah, uh, it's it, he was a uh, he had like a, he had a thicker brick uh, brick brickish uh, British or European. Is that is, is that is that, the, is that what they're they're calling it now that they're not a member of the EU? Yeah, they're the brickish now. Uh huh. Um, he had mentioned, and, and this was a concern that I share, and something, and he kind of like just perfectly nails what I thought about VR, which is that he thinks or fears that it's going to be a genre that is kind of divine, uh, defined by violence and horror rather than uh, positive experiences or some like, or it's being like a new avenue for creating uh, great creative and engaging experiences. And I think this is exactly my feeling of why I think I really want to think that VR is dumb and, and just for, a bunch of annoying hardcore gamers who just want a more immersive way to play violent video games. I sort I sort of get that sentiment, but in my response to that would be 
hey, let, let's slow down here. Let, let's get let's get some good software of any kind on the device, whether it's horror or otherwise. Because right now, they're, right now the, the problem isn't the genre of the software. It's the fact that there just isn't, isn't any software. That, that's, that's the problem. So I, I think, I think that's, a, that's a longer term concern for VR. But I, I think the immediate concern is there just isn't anything. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not the genre that's the problem. It's, it's just the simple lack of quality that's the issue. Sure. But I think if you take a reasonable... Um, like a, a sensible kind of forecast of how things are going to pan out, it's probably going to line up, like the content available for it is going to line up to what appeals most to the hardcore gamers that are going to be willing to invest in this. And that's what they enjoy. I don't, I see, I disagree with that too. As I, I, think, I think that would be a failure. I think if, if all VR tries to do is basically recreate games as we know them today and then you know t- tweak them so that they're optimized for the headset and the controllers and whatever like i'm not saying it won't be innovative but i don't th- i don't think that's going to change what people think video games are uh i don't i don't know i guess it, it depends on how you're defining innovation but you know, innovation to me wouldn't just be changing the controller layout or your field of view but innovation would actually be coming up with new styles of games like if that's if that's what we don't see or if rather if we don't see that in vr then i think that's a huge disappointment if we're just getting a bunch of first person shooters or a bunch of jump scare horror games that's that's going to be incredibly disappointing i appreciate your view and the pessimist in me thinks that's exactly what we're going to get i hope not though yeah i it you're because it's because possible the- because if you listen to that episode, uh, the Cortex episode, the way they speak about it, and again, they, they talked about like the examples of, of what Facebook had available, which it's, again, and it's kind of the most obvious and probably the most, the, the easiest to translate. So I don't fault them for the type of content that's available on it now. But the way they spoke about it, 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 it does make it seem like if virtual reality is, is kind of uh, applied in the right way or, or maybe has like, and uh, a segment where there is worthwhile content on it would be really cool. So high hopes, or sorry, low hopes, but high hopes. <laughs> sorry, if like Bernie Sanders style hopes for it being better than it actually will be. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, that 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 political show is just bubbling <laughs> below the surface. These next months. Uh, yeah. It's going to be a mess. Mm-hmm. I think we have one more gaming-ish thing. Xbox Fitness got canceled. What is Xbox Fitness? <laughs> so, sorry, you got Sunset by Microsoft. Apparently, that's that's the technical term. Yeah. So, I, I, so when, when, you, when you sent the link, I was really confused because I had totally thought... So, I knew what Xbox Fitness was. But I had totally thought that it was an Xbox 360 thing and that it just it didn't come over to the Xbox One. So I, th- I thought that it was already a thing of the past. But then, yeah, so when Xbox came out and officially canned it, I was reminded that, oh, no, this is, a, this is an Xbox One thing. And the, the memories came flooding back about how they launched with P90X, which is like a, a popular in-home fitness program. 
but the version of it that they had on Xbox Fitness was not the version that you could buy in retail stores and people were upset about that and I, I think there was like some subscription component to it which which people thought was really weird it it, it like it used connect to somehow <laughs> determine whether the 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 movements that you were making were correct i mean the whole thing was kind of weird that actually sounds awesome i mean sorry that very last point specifically where if i could tell you no you're doing it wrong yeah but in in theory fine but connect just didn't have from what i remember this connect just didn't have the fidelity to be able to to actually do that got it so yeah i guess i you know sorry to hear that it's gone but i i i didn't know it was still around Microsoft's whole strategy with with the with the Xbox being sort of this like all in one box, just man, what a what a mistake. I don't uh, sure. I, it probably maybe a mistake, but for me, as somebody who doesn't like video games, that seems like the only way I would have wanted it. But if you couple this oh, with let the me, news, let me let me pause. Let me let me pause you right there. Did did you buy one? Well, no, because I hate video games. So the the strategy, so the strategy of trying to have this box appeal to more people, perhaps didn't work. If they had executed on it well, like in the sense, like that, uh, you'll remember last week or or recently, uh, we talked about the um, them putting putting a stop to the plans to make it a DVR. Like had that panned out and it it having been decent, I think I totally would have bought one to have, you know, it's a Blu-ray player. I could play games if that, I wanted that, to. That rumors of a DVR was for over the air only, not cable. Oh uh, by, boo. by the way. Nah, throw it throw it in the trash. And as someone who temporarily tried to use the HDMI in of their Xbox One, the Xbox DVR interface was garbage. But this, I mean, this, well, let's not go down the road because we've been down it many, many times on this show, but that it, it epitomizes the kind of the issues with Microsoft right now, which is kind of the the issue that with Windows and seemingly all their devices now, they, they try to do everything and they just don't succeed at any one particular thing. Yeah. But anyway, let's we don't no no need no need to rehash that here. Sure. Yeah, and we, we've already I think we've already talked about the this this weird half generation thing that the consoles are going through, so we won't go there. Yeah, more to more to come on that though. I once once Sony officially announces whatever they're doing, I think that's that's gonna have make the story more interesting than it is now, which is kind of just a bunch of speculation. Yeah. Uh, quick aside, can you explain to me what PlayStation View is? <laughs> I keep hearing about it, and I and I, it's apparently like a Sling TV style thing, but I'm not sure if it's available in the U.S. yet. Oh, it is. Yeah, it, it's available in San Francisco, as a matter of fact. Wait, um, so it's not? It's. I would assume if it's available in America, it's available in all of America. It's not. I don't think so. No, I think it's only available in certain zip codes. <laughs> Of course. Um, okay, so so what is it? It, it you described it. It's it's a sling TV type of service. It's you pay, I don't know what it is, twenty thirty dollars a month. You get all your local channels, and then you get a package of cable channels, which I think includes some of the the obvious stuff, the ESPNs and that 
kind of thing. I, I have I've never looked into it closely, but is it only available on your PS4 or is it available on iOS and Android and like your computer? I think it you know? I, th- I think it is available uh, on iOS and Android and I think it's also available through Sony TVs. Sony what? But like Sony like television sets. Like as part of like built into the the software. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Snooze. Yeah. Uh, all right. Don't really want to talk about Uber, but there has <laughs> there has been some cactus news. Yeah, so I so they they came out with with some stuff to, today yesterday about how they are going to use the driver app to to track driver habits. So this is something that they've always had access to as part of the driver app, but I guess the way that they kind of phrased it was that they haven't really used that data in a formal sort of constructive way, but now they're compiling it and then actually sharing feedback with drivers, you know, giving them weekly reports on how often they were over the speed limit and a kind of a handful of other metrics. And then they can also then use this data to corroborate uh, driver complaints or uh, rider complaints rather. Um, I don't know. I, you call this cactus news, but I, I think it's, I actually think it's, I, I, I can't see much wrong with this, to be honest. No, no. I, I just say cactus news cause it's, it's regarding them. I'm not necessarily saying this ah, is bad news. Got it. Yeah. Got yeah. it. Got to keep the branding consistent. Um, and also, so yeah, so that, that all seems fine. Um, there's another thing about. Oh, I guess I'm. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I guess I'm forgetting about the the pricing stuff too that came out came out this week. Yeah. So with that one, apparently they're they're not doing away with surge pricing at all. No. So they what they're doing. So what right now the way that Uber works is kind of weird, where it'll, you know, it'll get it'll give you surge pricing, but it doesn't it doesn't really tell you exactly how much that's going to end up being. It'll give you some like a range of prices, but like you you don't really know. Like, you know you're going to pay double you know, if it's a 2x surge than what you normally would, but you, you don't even necessarily know what you would normally pay. So now the app is not going to highlight when it's surge pricing, but what it is going to do is it's, it's just going to tell you, hey, this this is how much it's going to be. Which, I was talking to some friends about that this week, and some made the argument that this is that this is not good that they would they would rather know when it's 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 surge pricing, but Exactly. No, that that that's but, Well, but my point, my rebuttal to that though was I mean, who like who cares if it's it's more than what it normally would be? All the, all that matters is is knowing what it is going to be and then making a decision as to whether or not that's what you want to pay. I mean, if 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 the right if the right that you're about to take is normally half the price than what it is now, but what you can get it for now is double what it normally is. What difference does it make if you can sometimes get it for half the price? I think I think it's a perceived fairness in in available information in the sense that somebody wants to know that well maybe I don't need a ride right at this moment if it'll be like I, I I've always found surge pricing to be incredibly fair like that uh, except for the what we talked about in the past of gouging customers and abusing natural disaster like all the kind of weird slightly scummy scenarios that uber either doesn't address or willingly doesn't address i think search pricing is one of the fairest parts of their entire business model and 
I, I think knowing that, you know what, demand is high and I could choose not to um, take that ride and just wait a little bit is is totally reasonable. And I think wanting to know that rather than just thinking, oh, well, that's the price, I can understand where this change might not be welcome. I think it's being sold as a positive thing, but I don't necessarily think it is. Hmm. I, I I totally do think it is. I think another friend had pointed this out, which I think was a good point. If this was just the way that Uber always worked, then this wouldn't be a problem. Like if they had never had the concept of surge pricing and instead just dynamically told you, hey, here's what the price is going to be based on current demand, then that would just be what it is. But because there's been this legacy system, it's created this weird perception of of pricing. I Personally, I think this method is way better than what we currently have today. Okay, so this has been kind of a an all over the place episode. So we'll we'll keep keep that theme going. I've always thought it was in, extremely uncool to have an external mouse with your laptop. But in my old age, I think I'm coming to the realization that uh away from my desktop iMac, I might need this. What are your thoughts on that? So, yeah, so when we were we were talking about this um off the air, as you say, I I don't I've never once thought of or heard of using an external mouse while on a laptop as being sort of an uncool thing to do. I I've had an ex- I think I think literally the the day that I bought my first laptop when I went to college, I I like I I had a mouse. I think I bought a mouse like that same day. Yeah, I don't know. I I've, I've always just, there's been this perhaps falsely ascribed by me stigma of people who have this like perpetually embedded uh usb mouse receiver stuck in their laptop i've always found that just to be kind of lame huh yeah i i cannot cannot say i've ever thought that I don't know, but apparently I'm gonna be I'm gonna become one of those people because I, I find that I'm I'm far less productive when I'm just relying solely on the trackpad. Or at least on a trackpad that's in the middle below your keyboard. I'm sure if you if it was like a magic trackpad on the side, it'd be fine, but it's 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 hurting productivity. As yeah, as as good as the you know, the force touch trackpad on the latest MacBook and MacBook Pros are, it's it's still just not as good as a regular mouse. Yeah. Do you have recommendations, or is or is yours pretty just meh? I I just use the Logitech M510, which I think is like the number one selling wireless mouse on Amazon or whatever. It's it's you know, it's fine. Twenty bucks, seventy seven hundred reviews. I have the um, for my Windows desktop. I've got the the Logitech G700, which is more of like a gaming focused mouse but it's it's incredibly comfortable it's probably the most comfortable mouse i've ever used got it but again it's 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 got a bunch of extra buttons and stuff on it that even when i do use it for games i don't i don't really end up using most of that stuff got it i might just end up trying to find uh my current mouse but portable yeah keep it the same so what's next for you um, so the other, other cool thing I came across this week was the the Wink Relay Touch Controller. Have you, have you ever heard of this thing? I hadn't. 
I've heard of the Wink home automation stuff, but not what you're specifically talking about. So this thing is is pretty neat. It just replaces an existing um you know, electrical outlet in your home. So instead of putting in a traditional light switch, you you can you can put this thing in. And it's it's a little touchscreen display, wireless, that can interact with various in-home, you know, lights and you know, smart lights and smart locks. Um, and the reason it was in the news this week is because they added a, a some new software support, like requesting an Uber and I don't know a couple of other small things. Um, but I, I was pretty impressed with this thing because it, it's only ninety nine dollars. Installation seems really simple. Um, I don't yeah, it seems I don't know. It seems a little too good to be true in some ways. Like I, I part of me thinks that it must be like some really low resolution screen. Um, there's there's got to be some kind of catch to this thing. But but on paper, it looks really neat. So it really does. I think it's super cool, but I think the problem here is that it doesn't really seem like the home automation protocols and kind of like the picking what is going to be the future. I don't think that's been settled enough yet to the point where, not that I'm in the place for, I don't have a home, uh, but where installing things in your home and going through that level of expense and commitment, I'm not sure we can reasonably say that we're there yet. Well, but I think one of the appealing things about this thing, right, is it looks like it it works with kind of all the major home stuff, right? Like you're not really locked into any particular brand or platform. To my knowledge, Wink is that. Like they they are like Zigbee or or one of those other things where they are the like this certainly probably won't work with HomeKit, does it? Well, there, I mean, there's like when I look in the lighting section, I mean, they've got like the Philips Hue lights, like they sell the Philips Hue lighting starter kit right here on the website. So I mean, I'm I'm assuming, and they they've got like the GE Link starter kit. Like so, I'm I'm assuming that if they're selling this stuff on the site, that it works with this thing. Hmm. They, do, I mean, I I see what you're saying. They they do have a Wink Hub, and they've got their own lighting kit, which comes with the the Wink Hub and a couple of lights. Um, but it it seems like it doesn't just work with that. It seems like it works with this other stuff too. I think this would be really awesome if there was a way to have this without having to do home installation. What do, what do you mean? Like if there's just some way to either power this off um, off batteries or like if they found some elegant way to do it where that this could maybe be like, cause like uh, Philips Hue for the people that don't want to just control their lights by um, specifically through an app or through a, an Amazon Echo, you can use, uh, you can buy a, a tap switch which adds physical buttons that you just stick on the wall. Like if that somehow was this. But I think just having this thing replace an existing outlet in your home like that, that actually does seem pretty elegant. No, no, but I'm saying in the case that this company goes under or this doesn't pan out to be a long-term thing. Because this isn't a standard uh, like light switch size. True, it's like a 
double wide one, I guess. Yeah, which like that generally is only ever in a kitchen. So therefore, this doesn't seem like it's just kind of a, well, if they go under and you have to switch to whatever Apple HomeKit 4, whoever happens to be working with that in 2018, uh, that you have to go rip, rip stuff out of your wall and hire an electrician again. But this seems super cool for making home automation palatable for the non-nerds in your house, even though I'm sure this is still very nerdy. Yeah, well, I, when I, as soon as the first thing I did after I came across this thing, in addition to sending it to you, I also sent it to the, the lady friend, and she actually thought it was pretty neat too. So, and, that, and that's not, that's not always the case with my smart home interests. So, um, wait, so have, have sorry, explain this. Have there been other uh, potential upgrades that you've tried to sell her on, or things you you've tried to like test the waters with? There's this crazy new Samsung fridge that's got this like enormous 12 inch touchscreen display that's got these smart cameras on the inside that can detect like when you're at a certain food and stuff as opposed to dumb cameras right yeah huh i think that's super super cool lady friend was not she was not quite as enthusiastic on all of that as someone who allegedly earlier this episode le- like lived like maybe two steps further down like the bleeding edge path than you no can i <laughs> can i practically veto that as well uh but point point being that uh, the this touchscreen controller thing, um, she did like that. And I think it looks it, cool. What, it, what do as a point of clarification too? It does say right here on the description that it says that it can, um, you can install it in place of your standard light switch. We've already said that. Blah blah blah. To create a command center at the heart of your home for all your favorite smart products. So it doesn't seem like it's it doesn't seem like it's locked down to just there their thing which i think is key here yeah what the hell are the two things on the right of it i i don't like there's the, there's the thing that looks like an ipod touch and then there's two little squares what the hell do those do i don't know if those are be kind of neat if those were buttons yeah this website is not clear at all i have a feeling that maybe oh they're it looks like they're sensors so they're proximity temperature and humidity sensors to keep tabs on your environment but are they because the the proximity sensor looks like that's the the thing above the screen hmm hmm but yeah this is cool yeah oh and it's an intercom too Neat. Uh, it can be i think you have to buy a like a, well, yeah. a kit but uh, yeah yeah i think i think it's really cool like i if i assuming that i i do make a move here sometime soon i i think I, I could see myself putting one of these things in a you know if, assuming i'm not in a studio apartment if, if i'm in a larger space i think that this could be kind of neat oh I, I i watched the video on silent right now apparently they are buttons oh they are yeah oh that's see that's neat yeah they can program to whatever you want them to be oh see yeah see this is and the the price see the the one thing i'm skeptical of is the, the screen pr- quality's got to be terrible it, that's what i it's this has got to be like a 480 by like 260 screen or just something crazy yeah because it's it's a pretty big screen too isn't it i i had the it's like 4.3 inches or something yeah which is like yeah it's it's a decent sized screen but if I mean, it just feels like a a high quality four point three inch display alone has got to be more than a hundred bucks normally, right? Eh, well, maybe maybe it's subsidized with Amazon special offers. <laughs> oh, oh man, that'd be 
be fun. First time when you walk in the home, first thing you see is an Amazon offer. Uh, that is probably the future, right? Yeah. Let's not think about it. All right. This this is getting long. So I'll, I'll just wrap up with um, uh, my, my phone dies at 20% every single day now. And that's amazing. And I have a Genius Bar appointment scheduled for Friday. And it's probably going to go badly. So... So my, yeah, I, I can't, did I talk about this on the show where my, my, I think I did, where my phone was at 35% and I was on my way to meet up with some friends and it, it just, it just died on me. I think you did, but that, that sounded like it, or you explained it as though it was an isolated incident. For me, it's, it's literally every day for the past four days. Right. Well, so then, um, a couple of weeks later, it, it, I had the exact same thing where it was just a little under 20% and just shut off and wouldn't, wouldn't turn back on until I, I plugged it back in. Um, and then in, in general, my, just my iPhone battery is horrific. I mean, even with just moderate use during my hour commute to work it'll go from being fully charged down to about 75% in like an hour. Pretty good. And that's, again, listening to a podcast while doing some like light Twitter reading and, and news reading. Not, nothing incredibly taxing. Yeah, I mean, I use my phone maybe a little bit harder, but I, I have in recent months been depleting the battery on my phone. And if I'm going to work out, uh, on my Mophie as well by 10 p.m. And that seems ridiculous. And, you know, maybe maybe what I'm about to say is just a sign that Apple wins, but because I'm on the iPhone upgrade program, I really don't care. Because in a couple of months, I'm just going to have a new phone and whatever. That you can't plug headphones into. Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> oh, man. Do you want to pivot to... Um, yeah, doing a lot of that today. Uh, picks of the week? I, I, I do, yeah. Um, as, as, as we alluded to last week, I think my pick is going to be somewhat controversial to you. That's, that's the sense that I got last week. Uh, so this is streaks, mm -hmm. which my understanding is you do not care for this app. Yeah, but that shouldn't matter to you. No, Let's it, hear what you like it, about it. It doesn't matter to me. <laughs> I have thoughts about it that I'll give right after this, but yeah, what, what do you like about it? So I, like you, was a, a user of Momentum for a while. Um, they did do an update where the interface was updated somewhat, but still just not the, not the prettiest app, not, not the most functional app, not, not a lot of options to it, such as the ability to set the goal of like a certain number of days in the week. Yeah, you can. Can you, but mm -hmm. don't you have to like specify specific days of the week that you want, yeah. but you can't just have a generic, like five days in the week or something like that. Yeah, you can. Can you? Yeah. Am I working out set to four out of the last seven days? Okay. I, anyway. I couldn't figure that out in momentum. It was really easy in streaks to figure it out. You can also, with streaks, you can also have it just plugged directly into, um, the health app. So like for me, I've got a calorie burning goal every day that just automatically plugs into the activity monitor so I don't have to remember whether I hit the goal or not. And then the interface is just really nice, both on the iPhone and I find the watch complication to also be really, really good. So it, it it's kind of very similar to Momentum, just in a much nicer package. 
Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely different. It takes a very different approach, but I'm glad you like it. I thought you were going to be more upset by that. It seemed it seemed that way last week. No, no, not not upset. I have differing opinions, and, and I'll and I'll give that now. But um, one of the things that I so uh, is that is that your praise for streaks? Yeah. Okay. Um, I, my opinion differs for just a couple of small reasons. One, I think it's I don't like its overall aesthetic. I, I think. Um, like the goals that it suggests, I think are maybe too. They're they're just not my cup of tea. I I don't want it linking in with the health app. I I like I don't really have step goals. I don't think that's maybe the the way I want to track my fitness and that kind of stuff. But specifically with the app, I think it's very. I don't like the number of times that you have to tap, um, the actual goal itself to try to get like to look at your progress. I appreciate that momentum shows you the past seven days uh, very clearly and and kind of what your progress has been. Momentum gives you a bit more flexibility on how you approach those. And also, mainly for me, what's most important is that momentum allows you to add notes to a day. So I can choose to either uh, have met the goal, failed at the goal, or chosen to skip it. And then I can also, there's an ongoing part of the goal which says, uh, like, did you meet your four of seven days that you want to do this? But also, like, if I failed at a goal, I frequently will want to write down like to what degree I failed. Like I have one for waking up early. And if I sleep in until 9am on the days that I fail for that, I want to kind of mark that down and streaks doesn't give you a way to do that. And I think that's probably the biggest uh, deal killer for me. But yeah, I mean to each their own, but I, uh, if you ever fall out of love with streaks, do know that you can change uh, the frequency with which you want to hit, uh, hit the goal. Got it. Yeah. Sorry, that was all over the place, but yeah. Point taken. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, yeah, Streaks is a heck of a lot prettier. It is, yeah. It, and it's yeah, more it visual. Very much yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so my pick of the week is Momentum. Again, two weeks in a row. <laughs> uh, actually, I think my, my pick of the week is going to be a holdover from uh, last week, kind of, because we talked about it, but I hadn't actually uh, decided on it. But I think uh, the Bose SoundSport Wireless are going to be my pick of the week. Okay, yeah. They're fantastic, decidedly better than the Powerbeats, uh, Powerbeats 2 or Powerbeats, whatever they are. Um, they're terrific, and they're actually cheaper than the Powerbeats. So are these are these wireless headphones that you... You know, like, the, the thing with the Powerbeats 2 that we've talked about is you really... You don't feel comfortable using them, like, in a non-workout context. Are these the same way? Or could you see yourself just walking around with these things? I, yes and no. They're closer. Like their style makes them look less weird and obvious to the point where, yes, I would, but I probably wouldn't. You know what I mean? Like if you look at pictures of them, like you would maybe just want to tuck the, like because the wire does go behind your neck. You might just want to tuck that into your shirt. But yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Just kind of, I'm getting prepared for our headphone-less, um, our headphone jackless world that we're about to enter. Yeah, what I will say about them is the battery life is amazing. I have done uh, four workouts each uh, between an hour and an hour and a half, and the battery is still at fifty percent, where the Power Beats would be would have been dead by the third one. So, pretty great. Nice. 
And 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 small secondary pick of the week is uh, the summer hits of the two thousands Pandora Station. <laughs> Look it up. It yeah. It, no, I it's it's on my list. It's what it's what I I generally don't like the uh, the the non like straight genre stations, the ones that try to like ca- uh, take on a time period or something super specific. But this one's pretty good. The one thing I will say about that station, though, is it's it's an, a, a really scary example of how there is now this full era of music, which many younger folks would consider like now like classic music that we that we've grown up with, which is incredibly disturbing. If people have learned nothing from the show, it's that I consider Sugar Ray classic rock, which which I, I find troubling on lots of levels. It goes the Eagles, um, something else, and, and then Sugar Ray. Uh-huh. Yeah. Is Weezer classic rock yet? Probably. Eh, probably at this point, yeah. Yeah. God, he's probably... Rivers Cuomo has to be like 50 by now. Let's not think about that. Oh, that reminds me of Pick of the Week for next week. All right. <laughs> yeah, let's wrap this up before it goes longer than it has. Yes.